ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. The federal government has announced an extra $200 million to go towards sealing the Tanami Road. We'll be joined by Louise Bellato from the NT Road Transport Association in just a moment to learn more about this funding. Also today you'll hear from a cattle producer near the SANT border who's been battling horrific fire conditions like this. Looked as if it was some sort of a, a tornado, really. It would have been a few hundred metres wide and it had flames. <laughs> Not sure how high, maybe 40 or 50 metres in the air. And yeah, it was moving extremely quick. And before 1.30, you'll meet the Aussie Beef Company, which has won the world's best steak competition. Ho, ho! Yummy. I'll have it medium rare, thanks. This is all coming up on the Country Hour. I hope you can stick around. Just quickly, there's an extreme fire danger warning in place for the Barkley North as we go to air. We'll get the latest on that at five past one when we speak to the Weather Bureau. And I've got a little message here from Sealink that's advising that all ferry services between Groot Island Noomba and Bickerton Island have been cancelled today. It doesn't say why, but they've been cancelled. Ferry services between Groot and Bickerton will resume as normal from tomorrow. Sealink says it apologises for any inconvenience. Hi, I'm Dione Walsh from Range IQ, and I'm in Alice Springs teaching a grazing course. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Now, as you know, cattle prices have been on the slide this year, and that is evident in the half-yearly financial results that are out today from Australia's largest cattle company. AACO says the value of its herd has fallen $175 million in just six months. That's a drop of 20%. To be fair, though, the benchmark Eastern Young Cattle Indicator in this nation, it's fallen more than 47% in the same time period. Chief Executive of AACO, David Harris, says the company has faced challenging market conditions, but its branded beef sales have held strong. He says they've still got an operating profit of over $30 million. Whilst... You know, we've taken a significant hit on that statutory live price. That's not actually realised, right? It's it's book value. What is really positive is we've kept OP up. We've got positive cash. You know, it's it's starting to illustrate, or it is a clear illustration now that the strategy being branded beef is largely decoupling us from you know the live price fluctuation. And so, largely, I think it's a really strong result uh, in what's pretty difficult conditions. The value of the herd has taken a knock. Have I got this right? It's fallen $175 million in just six months? Yeah, correct. That is uh, that is uh, an accurate depiction of it. Uh, it's a big number. But what's really important there is to note that it's a statutory piece. So it's, it's not realised. Uh, that is just a factor that being a publicly listed company, we need to value these assets, um, and so that happens. So we, we haven't realised that as a loss. It's a, 
Um, it's just a function of how the business needs to operate. Yes, it's um, you know it's a fair hit to the stat piece, but up until that time, we ha- we haven't actually realised those. So that's the whole strategy behind why we build out the branded beef side of things, is so that we don't have to necessarily realise those those market prices. We can take that beef through our supply chain and and move it into our branded beef stream, where we we feel we can get considerably better margins for it. And the price that you are getting for your Wagyu meat, uh, from what I can tell, it's sort of barely changed year on year. It sits at over $20 a kilo, which I assume is a good result in the climate. Yeah, look, we're, we're certainly happy with it. Uh, as we know, it's down 5% um, on this time last year, but in a in a market that does have you know the large supply out there at the moment with those herds, US is still still liquidating herd numbers, uh, Korea the same. So in, in a market where supply is so prevalent, I think for us to be able to hold our price largely largely flat on, on the period, I think, is, is an excellent result. The US is currently Australia's number one export market for beef. Where does it sit for AACO at the moment? Look, North America in general, we kind of put uh, Canada and the US together on that is a, is a really significant market for us. It's a it's a great opportunity for us to keep building. They're obviously a, a very large beef consumer. Uh, the Wagyu industry over there isn't as developed as it is in Australia, so we see a significant opportunity for us there in the future to continue to build relationships, um, you know, primarily with chefs and, and distributors around moving that product around North America in general, but very important market for us. Is it your number one market, though? No, Asia on volume and price is still our largest market, uh, but but North America is right there behind it. Branded meat sales to Europe and the Middle East, they're on the up as well. But sales into Australia are down 20% year on year. How do you think that should be viewed? Yeah, so that's a that down 20% is a price mix performance, so that takes to, into account uh, the value of, of what we sold in Australia, but also the mix of, of product. And so what happened in Australia is we've moved some lower value cuts out of other markets to, to keep the price tension there and move them back into Australia as we could still get a higher price for them in Australia than some of those other markets. So, uh, yes, it looks negative on, on the face value of it, but I think we've actually performed really well in Australia and I've spoken a few times about where we move product around the world, depending on where things uh, are at and different economies and consumptions at different times. And it's just a factor if we keep doing that, we shuffle product around our kind of distribution ecosystem um, where we need to, to extract the best value and, and margin for the business. So you'll continually see, you know, movements around uh, those, you know, three, three or four big big markets for us and, and it's just a function of where the value is at at the time but we keep working you know as I said in the presentation we've got some excellent relationships with some really iconic venues and customers in Australia so um, I couldn't be happier with our relationships that we've built there. Now you lead Australia's largest cattle company and you've watched as cattle prices have fallen all year do you think the bottom of the market has now been reached? Yeah <laughs> Uh, I suppose we'd all we'd all like to think we have. Uh, who knows is the is the answer to that one, Matt. I think uh, I, I'm not a punter on that. W- what we try and do is keep focusing on the things we can control. Um, so we keep trying to manage cost of production. We keep trying to be a low cost producer. 
increase productivity and and keep trying to lift the bar on where and what we can sell the product for. Um, what live prices do will be largely out of our control, but if we get everything else right, we'll we'll have a business that when live prices do come back, and I'm sure they will, uh, where they're ready to make make the most of that opportunity. On another topic, AACO has been doing some dry land farming trials in far north Queensland. Could you tell our audience sort of what you're doing, what you're growing, what it all looks like? Yeah, for sure. So we've got uh, – we farmed – around 6,000 hectares in, in the Gulf area of Queensland this year. Um, so we're just finishing that that program now. Uh, that was a mixture of a few things. We did some dry land sort of forage cropping that we that we grazed out to young weaner cattle. We also did uh, – we made a lot of hay, um, which we used throughout our own properties and, and sent throughout the business, and we also grew uh, a substantial – amount of chickpeas up there and so it's kind of part cash part part product that was utilized within the business but you know some really excellent results this year that'll certainly be um be helping the bottom line of the business out into the future any plans to crop in the northern territory yeah look we've we've always looked at that as an opportunity and so we'll continue to work through those um I think where we're focused in the Gulf at the moment is the area where we've got considerable water rights and so we're, we're focusing our attention there for the time being but uh, there's no doubting that there's opportunity to do it through the NT as well at some point in the future. Because one of the big stories in the Northern Territory this week was the government releasing its water allocation plan for the Georgina and Wiso basins. You've got some cattle stations in that country. Is that a, a plan you've looked at and are interested in? Yeah, look, I'd, I'd never say never to that. We're always interested in improving the value of our assets and and building the business, so that'll certainly be something that we'll consider. Okay. And just finally, abattoirs are making some good money at the moment, and Livingston near Darwin sits idle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you get this question every time, but if it's not worth opening Livingston now, what is AACO waiting for? Yeah, good question. I think we're waiting for uh, for a lot of things there. When we when we uh, sort of suspended Livingston, um, there was a few challenges there with that that business case, and and we're working through improving those in order to go again. Um, so look, we we continue to kind of prudently uh, keep it in that suspended state. We're always actively looking at um, opportunities for for the site whether they be directly as, as a processor or other things as well. But uh, never say never, Matt, we continue to work on opportunities for the site for sure. It's a busy day for you. Thanks for sharing time for the Country Hour. Not a problem. Thank you. David Harris is the Chief Executive of the Australian Agricultural Company. Its half-yearly results are out today. And as we go to where, shares in AACO are up 1.9%. Earlier in the week, we had the boss of Elders on this program. And I told you that Elders had released its half-yearly financial results. I made a stuff up there, sorry. It was their yearly financial results, so my apologies. It is 19 to 1. This is the country hour. The federal government has announced an extra $200 million to help seal the Tenamai Road. We'll talk more about this next. A bit of Willie Nelson on a Thursday lunchtime. This is the Country Hour. And making news this afternoon, the federal government has announced it will tip another $200 million into sealing 
the Tenamai Road. This extra funding comes after a review of the Infrastructure Investment Program, which will actually see 50 projects axed across Australia and the funding moved into existing works. The Infrastructure Minister, Catherine King, says the independent review found that many projects were undeliverable. At best, the last decade is a case study of what governments should not do. Under the Liberals and Nationals, the number of projects increased from nearly 150 to over 800, not in and of itself a problem, but when you start to look at the what, uh, it does become an issue. Many projects lacked proper planning, didn't have informed costings and weren't ready for Commonwealth investment. Yeah, so 50 projects set to be axed. In the Northern Territory, though... No problems. They will all go ahead. The review did not recommend any projects to be cut in the Northern Territory. And as for the Tenamai Road, it will receive an extra $200 million in funding and the Minister appears to be a fan. The Tanami, frankly one of my favourite infrastructure projects in the whole country in Central Australia, is receiving an additional $200 million. Joining us this afternoon is Louise Bellardo, who is from the NT Road Transport Association. An extra $200 million for the Tanami. Louise, what's your understanding on what this money will be spent on? Well, I think it's a very smart investment, Matt. As you know, the Tanami Road is uh, a critical piece of enabling infrastructure. Uh, we've called it the uh, East-West Interconnector for quite some time. And uh, earlier this year, we saw Defence finally understand how important that was for uh, the future of um, our defence security in the north. Um, any additional monies is very, very welcome and we're delighted that uh, all of the road projects across the Territory have that were in the pipeline are continuing to be funded. Will this money deliver a better road on the Tanami or is it a sign of the project having a bit of a cost blowout in that region? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, obviously, the cost of um, civil works has been going up uh, because of all the um, costs in the supply chain. Uh, without a doubt, uh, there's um, more money needed. But uh, we understand that, that the the more expensive part of the Tanami has just been completed and um, the next sections of work will require less uh, floodway um, construction and, uh, you know, not quite home and hose, but uh, we anticipate that there will be um, more savings to come uh, because the civil works contractor out there is um, doing their own ceiling aggregates and concrete aggregates now on site, which uh, will allow, obviously, some very um, uh, sizable savings to occur. Uh, one of the things that we were anticipating uh, with um, additional monies was uh, the upgrade of the single-lane bitumen. So there is about 180 kilometres currently uh, on the section between the Stewart Highway and Yuendamu, which is um, sealed, so it's not taking from unsealed mm. to um, sealed, but it is dangerous and, um, you know, there's been a lot of um, near misses and rollovers and things like that over the years uh, simply because it's very skinny bitumen, like other sections of the Territory Road Network. So how many kilometres of the Tenamai are still dirt and need to be sealed? How much is left to go? I think there's about 288. I'm, I could stand corrected because I understand that there was another 22 kilometre section to flood out Creek 
uh, just opened and uh, uh, feedback was that it is phenomenal. Um, it's like driving on a concrete road. It is so, um, so flat and uh, exceptional. So that was the feedback from um, uh, truck drivers uh, on the new section of road that's just been completed. But uh, yeah, I understand there's still about 288 kilometres through to the territory border. Ooh, have you got a deadline in mind on when the Tenemai will be completely sealed? Well, I guess that depends now that we've got some assurances with the federal government monies um, because that uh, Infrastructure Australia review definitely caused a number of delays. Everyone was, you know, waiting with um, pens poised to uh, release tenders, not just there, but everywhere across the Territory. And um, things have been, um, you know, yeah, on hold for some, some months now. But uh, we, we believe the Territory is uh, very... Uh, much on track for probably a you know twenty six twenty seven um, completion. Certainly, Western Australia have not uh, kept up their end of the bargain as yet, and uh, they're only just getting started uh, from the um, Great Northern Highway end. So, um, whilst it'll be brilliant from the territory side, it'll still have um, an unsealed component. Now, the federal government has flagged that it would like to move towards a fifty fifty funding model with the states. Um, what this could mean for the Northern Territory, well, I want to ask you about that because the Territory has historically had an 80-20 funding model. The Feds chip in 80, we chip in 20. What's your understanding on what's happening here? Yes, again, um, my understanding is that uh, on a case-by-case -case basis, we may need to make uh, stronger cases in the future, but we've done that exceptionally well in the past um, from uh, government and industry. Uh, the 10-year infrastructure plan is very clear. It's very clearly defined what that pipeline of uh, road construction works need to be, especially the arterial road upgrades to, um, you know, support the National Highway Network. We've all seen, um, you know, flooding and other damage, especially last year, um, on the National Highway Network. So our view is that the, the Commonwealth can't shirk its responsibilities and, um, you know, transfer additional cost imposts on the Territory. When we started from the lowest base um, in at the time of self-government, we've made that point before, the Northern Territory Road Network is still 70% unsealed and uh, we don't waste money when we're um, constructing bitumen roads in the Territory, we're enhancing every aspect of community life. If the federal government did change to a 50-50 funding model for the Northern Territory, what would that mean to the NT? We would have far fewer roads being bitumened now than we, um, I mean, than we are now by, by a long shot. So hopefully all the roads that are in that uh, list that um, have got funding attached to them and forward funding as well can be completed uh, because if there was any change to the funding formula, things would slow right down and it wouldn't be in anyone's best interests, let alone the federal government's, because there's a knock-on effect to education, to health, to welfare, to every aspect of our um, community's lives when we don't have uh, bitumen roads. Everything costs more. Are you worried this is coming for the Northern Territory? I think the Northern Territory has been able to um, 
establish its credentials and its relationships with the federal government over many, many years, and including, um, you know, taking the, the federal minister out to uh, the Tanami Road to see for herself uh, what uh, remote Australia roads were like and are like, um, that we can put our case. And I mean, I'd like to think that that uh, is going to remain going forward because if you're not spending it on roads, you'll be end up spending it somewhere else. So um, w I would hope that uh, the federal government would see reason. And um, we have got a huge land mass and a very small population. Uh, and just quickly, Louise, I've got a question from our audience, uh, if that's okay. It's from Sprinkles at Bino Harbour, who says, on roads, the Cox Peninsula Road needs widening from the mine. That's the lithium mine that's now operating in Absolutely. the region. Uh, Sprinkles reckons CORE should pay for it. Uh, have you got any thoughts on, on that, Louise Bellato? Uh, well, I just came from a, a meeting with uh, the new minister, uh, Joel Bowden, and uh Sprinkles must have been reading our mind because that was uh, one of the subjects that was spoken about. I understand that there is a widening program and uh, there are discussions in place with the mine in terms of um, contributions. So, uh, Sprinkles, be assured that uh, that is well and truly in everyone's sights. Uh, we have advocated uh, for a long time that the uh, Cox Peninsula Road, Fog Bay Road, other roads aren't um, essentially uh, designed for that purpose of hauling, um, you know, large um, amounts of material with triple and quad road trains. Uh, but obviously the mine needs to get their products to port. So there has to be some upgrades and widening and strengthening programs. And there needs to be some commitment from uh, the mine to support that. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. That is Louise Bellato from the NT Road Transport Association. It's six to one. This week on Landline, tagging and tracking wild cattle and buffalo in the top end. Probably of the largest scale from a wildlife or a buffalo tracking perspective that's ever been done. And the couple changing how goats are farmed in Australia. We never planned. We actually became accidental goat farmers and processors. That's Landline, Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Pat in Bino says, I agree with Sprinkles. The mining trucks are destroying that road, being the Cox Peninsula Road. And Bart says, is Miss Bellato kidding when she says the Territory Government doesn't waste money on road construction? How about she looks at how much money's been wasted on that $100 million blowout on the Berrimah overpass, says Bart, 0487991057, the text here at the Country Hour. Let's uh, turn our attention to some resources news. Santos, it is allowed to start work on an underwater pipeline from its Barossa gas field, but only on a small section following a federal court decision. That was made yesterday afternoon. I'm joined in the share by Dan Fitzgerald. What happened? Well, Tiwi Island's traditional owner, Simon Munkara, had a partial win in the federal court yesterday. Santos can go ahead with construction on its gas pipeline at its northernmost point, but it has to stop about 70 kilometres north of the Tiwi Islands. Mm -hmm. So the section it can work on is about roughly 80 kilometres of the total 
270-kilometre pipeline. This is because of concerns raised by Simon Mankara and other Tiwi traditional owners about potential impact on its cultural uh, heritage in that pipeline's proposed route. Uh, So this is an injunction that's been put in place until about mid-January when the federal court is expected to hand down a decision following a trial looking at whether or not Santos needs to update its environmental plan for this pipeline. Uh, The Environmental Defender's Office, it's been representing Tiwi traditional owners. Senior Counsel Eileen Lakin, she says this decision is a big win for her clients. It is a little bit of a complex decision, but for our clients uh, and Tiwi people, it feels like an absolutely enormous victory. And that is because they've been able to protect, at least for the time being, uh, their tangible and intangible cultural heritage, particularly nearer to the Tiwi Islands from being impacted by the um, construction of the gas pipeline. As you said, there is an area um, which is from the drilling site um, that's about 100 kilometres north of the Tiwi Islands and then slightly to, to slightly south of there where Santos may decide to commence some works um, between now and mid-January but we don't know yet if they will or won't commence any of those works. The judge said there could be a risk to Santos if they do proceed in the area where the judge has said you may proceed with your pipeline here. Can you just explain those risks? Is it is it a case of if you start building your pipeline uh, and and you can't build it in the area that we're currently protecting, that's that's going to be a problem for your pipeline? Well, yeah. I, I mean, there's I think there's kind of practical commercial risks, like what you've just said, which is that um, if work does commence, and I and you know the judge reflected on the fact that um, there are obviously challenges because the pipeline that's loaded onto the ship is not for the area that she's allowed work to commence in so it would have to be docked unloaded reloaded there's a question about how and when that would happen and then there's also the question of if our clients are successful and some work has commenced then that work would have to stop um, it, it pending a, an appropriate approval being sought and obtained by Santos so there is a risk that that work would be or could be wasted and then the final risk and the judge also mentioned this is that there's still is a cloud hanging over this approval and if Santos does work it might um, end up that the approval is not uh, a lawful one and that therefore the work that they've done under it um, is hanging under that cloud. Senior Counsel for the Environmental Defenders Office, Alina Lakin, speaking there to Liz Travaskas. So Santos can start work in this certain section. Will it do it though? Well, I asked Santos that specifically this morning, Matt, and it didn't respond directly to that question, so unclear at this stage. The spokesperson pointed me to a previously released statement saying it intends to vigorously defend proceedings in the federal court, and they said Santos is committed to delivering the Barossa gas project. This is all back in court on December 4th, with that judgment, as I said, expected in mid-January. Our man in Bino Sprinkles says, Matt, the monster rig of Santos, it left Bono Harbour yesterday. The Santos machine keeps rolling on, reckons Sprinkles. Our man on the ground. Also got a text, Dan, whilst you're here, from Curly. He says, I've just received my gift of a stubby cooler and country hour tea towel. They're both fabulous. 
and I'm very thankful. Keep it rural, says Curly, who won our Melbourne Cup sweepstake. Those another tea, happy tea towels cu- are limited editions. Yep, another, Take care of it, Curly. Another happy, happy customer. It's news time. See you back here in five minutes. Hi, I'm Sophie. I work at Monsoon Aquatics and I love working with giant clams. You're listening to Country Hour. Uh, Matt Brown with you this afternoon. There's been a little bit more rain in the last 24 hours. And unfortunately, in parts of Central Australia and the Barkley, there's still some nasty bushfires. In a moment, you'll be hearing from the team at Lindavale, who have been battling with some horrific conditions and events like this one looked as if it was some sort of a a tornado, really. It would have been a few hundred metres wide and it had flames. (laughs) Not sure how high, maybe 40 or 50 metres in the air. Yeah, it was moving extremely quick. Yikes, that's Ross Staines. He'll share his experience with you in a moment. And before 1.30, as promised, you'll meet the Aussie company that has just been crowned the producer of the world's best steak. Oh, so hungry. Producer Dan, you getting hungry? World's best steak. How do we get it? Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. Uh, Sally, let's start in the Barkley and in Central Australia. What are conditions like for those who are fighting these fires? Oh, we've got the, the wind through the, the Barkley at the moment. We're looking at... Some Northwesterly winds, seven knots. So it's so there's a trough in through that area. So we've got those northwesterly winds. It's, it's reasonably hot. It's it's 39 degrees at Tennant Creek at the moment. So it's yeah, that's that's pretty hot out there. Relatively clear skies. Most of the cloud is down to the south. So it's it's not going to be so very pleasant out there. So even just from the heat from the sun. So that's yeah, it's probably not great if you're down in the the Simpson district, it's got that cloud cover, so Alice Springs, we're only looking at 33 at the moment. But as far as that rainfall goes in the last 24 hours, Curtin, Spring, Curtin Springs managed to get 8 millimetres down through Central Australia. New Haven got 1.6, the, but most of the rest of the rainfall has been up north, Pilling MP23, Elizabeth Downs 8 as well, Bradshaw 7. So there's been some storms around, but a lot of it's missed the rain gauges or the well, sparse rain gauges we've had down south. Our reporter in Alice Springs, Victoria Ellis, uh, sent us this bit of radio, and she says this is what it sounded like when she left the house this morning to go and do the rural report. It was raining on the tin roof, she said. Now... She says, hand on heart, this is rain, but uh, clearly nothing reached the airport, Sally Cutter. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. It can be raining next to the rain gauge, but as far as the rain gauge is concerned, it hasn't rained. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. That's how we yeah. want to start every day. Oh, yeah, a few birds there. It sounds, it sounds nice and gentle that it's not really going to, to be too heavy, and so, so it should have a chance to soak in. The ground is fairly dry. But with having had so much burnt, we're just going to lose some of that. To, well, unfortunately, we've lost the grass, but that holds it down. So the, the rain's going to be welcome in that. It's going to produce moisture, provide moisture, but also without the the ground cover, there might be a little bit more to erosion and the like. So that's probably just one thing to be aware of. There is that 
extreme fire danger in place for Barclay North. How long are you expecting that warning to stay in place for? Oh, it's just today. It's just only today. just okay. up in that, yeah, up in the extreme. It's the fire behaviour index is 50, which is the bottom of the extreme. So that should ease off a little bit. Just we're going to get. It's going to continue hot tomorrow, but we are going to see a little bit of moisture coming in. But by the time we get through to Sunday, that's when we should start seeing the showers and storms, and even sort of just some widespread rain. So just sort of that sort of gentle soaking rain, hopefully. And then, but Monday, there's the risk that we might see some of those heavier showers and storms through there. Okay. And in the top end, anything people need to be aware of? Uh, we're going to get a decreased chance of rain over the top end as, over the weekend. Yeah. Come back over next week as the rain comes north. But probably the other thing is through central Australia, we we still got that bit of a cloud band, so we could see the some heavy rain start, or some heavier rain starting this evening or tomorrow evening, and into Saturday before it eases off Sunday when things moving up into the Barkley. But across the north, it's we got yeah we've got to wait until next week to get that increased chance. So and unfortunately the the storms will slow down a bit. So those coasts, anybody on the coast, will probably have a slightly less chance of seeing a storm. But over the weekend we've got the steering there, but we haven't got the moisture to get those storms going. So it's a we can have one but not the other at the moment. Thanks for your time this afternoon. That's okay. That is Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. On the topic of weather, did you see this story on the ABC Rural website today? It's about the Ferrera Group. So the Australian arm of this company, which produces Ferrera Rochers, Nutella and Kinder Surprises, it's announced that it's going to remove a million hazelnut trees from its farm in southern New South Wales. They got planted back in 2013 and now they're going to get ripped up in a statement, Ferreira said the decision to discontinue the farm and not be made lightly. And it said, given recent adverse weather conditions, the pilot study found that the region's climate in the long term is not conducive to hazelnut farming. Over the duration of the 10-year project, hazelnut yields have fallen below expectations, making the project, unfortunately, no longer commercially viable. It's a big call there from Ferreira ripping up a million hazelnut trees. You can read more about this story up online right now if you search for ABC Rural. I'm Jack O'Neill Valentine. I'm ringing at Arkada Station and I'm originally from Kalibi in Queensland. And I listen to the country here. As mentioned there with Sally Cutter, there's still stations in Central Australia who are fighting fires. As we go to air, there's some Nasty fires still on Undulia Station, as well as Mount Riddick and Amberlindum Stations. Further south near the SA border, Linda Vale and Mount Ebenezer Stations, uh, they've been doing it fairly tough. Ross Staines, he says the fire came very close to his homestead and that his team have been working flat out over the last week or so. We've been fighting fires um while trying to keep things running on the station and cattle work and all sorts of things as well. We probably spent last week trying to um, protect protect the homestead or the first week. We got to within a couple of hundred metres of the house. Um, we managed to back burn all around the whole house paddock, pretty much light that all up before the main fire front got here. 
um, and protect that. And then uh, since then, we've basically been working with the neighbours and trying to protect it from spreading too far onto onto their place and, and stop it burning back um, and just save as much country as we could. There's no real stopping it, but um, but if we can just save a bit of feed here and there and, yeah, that's that's sort of been the priority. How close did it get to the house and how concerned were you guys there? Uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely definitely um, pretty worrying there for a, a couple of hours. The wind changed and it um, caught along one of the sandhill ridges and jumped the fire break pretty quick. So at that stage, it was probably only 500 metres from the homestead or a bit less. So we, we made the call to... Uh, light the whole house paddock up uh, along the fire break and sacrifice all that to stop the main fire front getting to us. So um, it was a tense couple of hours, but once we got that under control, it was um, yeah, a bit of a relief not to have to worry about the house, at least for a while. Yeah, I can imagine you guys must have been a bit stressed with having young kids and everything too. Gosh, um, and how much, yeah. how much land has burnt? Well, we've definitely been luckier than some. I think at this stage, probably lost between 25 to 30% of Lindavale and a similar amount at Ebenezer, maybe a bit less at Ebenezer. But, you know, we, obviously there's a lot of people, um, particularly north of Alice and around it, that have had it much worse than us. You posted on Instagram um, a fire whirly wind. Can you tell me what that was and how you came across it and how big it was, that sort of a thing? Yeah, I went out to uh, check the fire front um, last week, and I thought I might be able to um, light a section up in front of the, in front of the fire front at a, at a night paddock. Um, but yeah, I was I was watching, and I, I I couldn't quite work out what I was looking at for a moment. And then, it, yeah, as it got closer and closer to me, it was moving at a rate, and it, yeah, it was a looked as if it was some sort of a, a tornado really um it would have been a few hundred meters wide and it had flames <laughs> not sure how high maybe 40 or 50 meters in the air and yeah it was moving moving extremely quick so it was coming straight for me i managed to get out of the way and then parked up on a, a sand hill and watched it go across and it, it went across the night paddock in a in a matter of seconds and yeah lit up lit up a trail of fire behind it so um yeah you see something like that and um you know you, you wouldn't want to get caught in front of it no absolutely not there was a, a similar event up towards Tennant creek do you think that's the winds have been particularly bad this season or is it just that you know is does this happen every year how unique is this sort of a thing do you think yeah i think i mean the fires themselves obviously i think it's just a result of sort of a once in a decade a run of good seasons, um, pretty similar to what we had in 2011 and 2002. Um, but with those whirly winds, I mean, you see a lot of them through the fire. I think the, the fire and the heat just creates these little whirly winds that spread the fire everywhere. But that, um, yeah, that one in particular was, you know, hundreds of metres wide and it was uh, twisting. When I went back and had a look at it, it twisted off full-grown mulga trees and, um, left them broke on the ground before the, the fire had even got there. Gosh. And where is the fire up to now? Has it, um, you know, still burning in places or where is it? What is it looking like? Yeah, it's burning now um, along a section of burnt country from last last summer. So it, it's 
it's all out on the homestead side and it's all out on the the west and the on the south that it's now still sort of trickling along but we've had a few storms here in their last couple of days pretty light but they seem to have put most of it out although it was still burning there yesterday in a few patches so um, we're just hoping that the weather uh, eventually just drops a little bit more rain and give everyone a bit of a, a rest and <laughs> as, uh, we get a bit of a break before we have, have any more. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, like that's the thing, isn't it? These storms, they can bring the lightning which starts it or the rain which <laughs> just can stop it. Um, yeah, that's, uh, we've had plenty of lightning around the last few days so you're not sure if you're either going to have fires getting put out or you're going to have more fires created. So um, I guess time will tell. There you go. How about the sound of that fire tornado? That was Ross Staines, who's the manager at Lindervale, speaking to Victoria Ellis. Still a number of fires in Central Australia. Wishing everyone all the best and hopefully a bit of rain comes your way. G'day, I'm Jermaine. G'day, I'm Caleb. And we're from Territory Bees. We're out here in Darwin's rural area attending to some hives and you're listening to The Country Hour. One of our big stories this week was about the Territory Government unveiling its water allocation plan for the Georgina and Wiso basins. It says 210,000 megalitres a year could be sustainably pumped. And this is how Amy Dysart, the Territory's Executive Director of Water Resources, explained it. The way that we like to look at it, because that's such a big number, it's hard to fathom exactly how big that is. But if you took out that 210,000 megalitres a year for the next 100 years, which is what we plan for under the plan, 97% of that water would still remain in the aquifer underneath. And that's putting aside the fact that rain will occur in that time, the system will be replenished. So it basically says that over time, with this amount of extraction, that resource will continue to fill. It won't fill every single year, just depending on the rain, but over over time, it will continue to get larger. On Monday, we also spoke to the Environment Centre NT, which put out a press release in the end that had a headline that said, unprecedented water allocation announced for fracking cotton with potentially catastrophic impacts for NT rivers was the headline from the Environment Centre. And to be fair, ABC News had an article as well with a headline that read, Georgina Wiso Water Allocation Plan released by NT Government with allocations to oil, gas and cotton. Well, in a statement from Cotton Australia, it says NT Government Plan does not mention cotton and no allocations have been made specifically to cotton growers. It says the plan does include cultural, public supply and agriculture uses. We welcome informed debate guided by facts rather than speculation. Most cotton grown in the Territory is rain-fed, says Cotton Australia. Uh, if you missed our coverage on Monday, you can find that on our website. It's Australian history with a glamorous difference. I'm Celeste Barber. I've put my hand up to rummage through Australia's wardrobe to uncover a most fascinating fashion history. From the power of the media... We ran Australian fashion. ...to the push for social change. I had never walked down a runway before carrying my culture with me. The way we wore... I love fashion. ...starts Tuesday, November 21 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iview. The world's best steak is getting served up on the country hour next... 
But first, let's have a tune. The ARIA Awards were held last night and the Best Country Album was presented by no other than Dolly Parton. Woo! Via video link. Ah. <laughs> and the award for Best Country Album went to Fanny Lumston for her record, Hey Dawn. This is one of the smash hits from it. It's called Millionaire. The album's called Hey Dawn. This is a song Millionaire. I like it. And I also like beef. How's this? The world's best steak competition was held in Europe this week and a cattle company from New South Wales took out the top prize. So well done to Jack's Creek, which won a few awards, including the title of world's best steak. Wouldn't you love to be a judge at this thing? It's actually the third time Jack's Creek has won this international award and the managing director, Patrick Warmel, is still celebrating. Yes, we've been fortunate enough to win World's Best Steak in London. And yeah, the first year of the event, 2015, we we won World's Best Steak Producer and then we did it again in 2016. Yeah, but we got pipped at the post in 2017 as we went for a hat trick. So yeah, thrilled to be able to take home the gong yeah, nine years since the event started. Give us a bit of a rundown of the piece of meat. So we won three awards. So we, uh, we won Oceana's Best Steak, we won World's Best Sirloin, and then World's Best Steak. And those three awards were all won with a, uh, a Wagyu Cross Sirloin. It was specifically a F2 to F3 Wagyu Cross. So that's anywhere from 75% to 88% Wagyu. Uh, and, yeah, the animal was backgrounded uh, at our property at Breezer, uh, and then it was grain-fed on the Darling Downs at Lemon Tree Feedlot and then processed at, uh, at Casino Abattoir. But, uh, you know, the key is obviously the whole lifestyle in Wagyu uh, from, you know, the breeding, the breeding development, genetic development in Wagyu over the, over the last 30 years has been immense. Um, and then, you know, the animal husbandry and lifetime nutrition um, has it's just become so much more advanced these days. But uh, the, the entry was a marble score nine, so uh, it's got as much marbling as we can physically count in the product. Uh, and that's key because that's where you get all of your flavour. And, uh, and yeah, it, w- it obviously performed really well. So, uh, Well, your family were one of the first to really breed, process and market Wagyu beef. So I guess you've been there since the beginning of the industry here in Australia. So what has the journey been like to, to get where you are today? Well, it's been long, um, but most importantly, it's been a lot of fun. We love what we do. Uh, so, uh, you know, it was a new breed back in the 90s, so um, have all of that fun about being first to market and developing a product and then, you know, through the, um, you know, through the teens and even before then when Wagyu was growing very, very fast, you're part of that, you're part of the, the whole branded beef revolution uh, and providence um, around food products and we've been able to, you know, be part of those waves in, I guess, beef and and food, and it's it's been just a lot of fun, to be honest. And when things are fun, you stick out of it and you keep doing it. So we're just really thankful to um, yeah to everybody in Australia that um, has supported Jack's Creek or is just in the industry, uh, because yeah, it's a wonderful industry to be part of, um, and it's got a very very bright future. How do the the cattle you breed today compare when you look back to what you started with? 
Well, when we started, um, you know, it was about convincing people that there was actually Wagyu outside of Japan. Because as you know, Wagyu means beef of Japan. Uh, and so that was like the first hurdle that we've actually got cattle in Australia that are, that, that are actually bona fide Wagyu. And then I guess the next step was uh, developing, I guess, the marbling uh, quality. And in those days, yeah, we're producing a lot of two, threes and fours. Whereas today, uh, you know, the, wag, the Wagyu market is very much focused on delivering marble score six to nine which is at the upper end of the marbling scale. So that customer that wants that really intense Wagyu flavour or a, um, you know, just a, a really good experience. So it's massively changed since um, when we started. That's Patrick Warmel from Jack's Creek in New South Wales speaking to Lara Webster about winning the world's best steak title. Whoa. Just quickly before I leave you this afternoon, a reminder, there's an extreme fire danger warning in place for the Barclay North and Sealink is this afternoon advising that all ferry services between Groot Island, Numbawa and Bigoted Island have been cancelled. No explanation as to why, but it says ferry services between Groot and Bickerton will resume as normal tomorrow, and Sealing says it apologises for any inconvenience. Uh, that's it for today's Country Hour program. If you missed our stories today, including news that the federal government's going to tip in an extra $200 million for the Tenamai Road, that'll all be up on our podcast later on this afternoon. You can find it wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Keep it rural.